When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us on one of the radio stations around the country, or maybe you're watching on YouTube, or you're listening on iTunes, or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. And however you're with us, we appreciate you being here. And we have a cool show for you today. I've recently read part of an incredible book called 24-Hour Cities, Real Estate Investment Performance, Not just promises all right this is a great book i recommend it we'll have a link to the show on the show website if you're traveling out there uh you can go to commercialrealestateshow.com hit uh current show and we have the author here hugh kelly now hugh kelly is professor of real estate at nyu and he's also the author of 24-hour cities and studio one Hugh, thanks for joining us it's always a pleasure to be here, Michael. Well, you appreciate it. And uh, if you'll get us started, for those who may not be familiar with the term, you know, what is a 24-hour city? Okay. It's a, uh, a place where the downtown sidewalks don't get rolled up at 5 o'clock. <laughs> right. Uh, that's uh, the, the, uh, the short answer. Uh, a place where uh, a city provides, in a concentrated area, opportunities to live, work, and play. Uh, and uh, does so in such a way that the activity of the city extends well into the evening. Okay. And what are some? What are the? Who? What are the twenty-four hour cities? How many are there? What cities are they? You know, it's uh, it's a spectrum. Uh, probably New York City, in the United States, is the uh, premier twenty-four hour city. The city that cities. never sleeps. The city that never sleeps. Absolutely. Yeah. But any city that has uh, a, a lot of uh, universities, for example, mm-hmm. you know, students don't live a nine-to-five life. So the Bostons, uh, the San Franciscos, the Chicagos would fit there. Those that have incredible nightlife, Miami, Miami Beach, mm-hmm. uh, Las Vegas, <laughs> for, uh, for sure. And cities that are, are uh, evolving in that uh, direction. I've been really impressed with the way LA has been evolving in its downtown. And uh, Houston, which has uh, created a wonderful downtown in just the last three decades. So I think there, uh, there's a spectrum, uh, but uh, you know it when you see it. Right. And why would a city want to become a 24-hour city? What are the benefits to, to the government and to the people who live there? Well, uh, it becomes attractive to smart people and you build your economy around that uh, these days rather than simply the production of goods. Uh, Also, uh, it's attractive to the businesses that want to employ those smart people because they earn more profits. Uh, That means for real estate, uh, you attain higher rents, that gets higher values, and from a public policy standpoint, that's an excellent uh, uh, configuration because real estate taxes, particularly commercial real estate taxes, are a very reliable source of municipal revenue which enables the uh, city to provide the best quality of services, which of course attracts businesses and attracts people. Right, so it attracts the human capital when the government has the money to provide the great services and the great education, right, and the, and the infrastructure that we need in commercial real estate. That's, that's right. And, willing to deploy that. Right. Uh, you know, often uh, cities look to be low-cost providers. Mm-hmm. They look to uh, 
run their business costs down as low as possible, have their taxes as low as, uh, as possible. Uh, and the way you do that is by shifting over to the private sector all of your costs. Well, for businesses, that, that's a shell game because you still have the costs. But you don't have the, the municipal services that you, you rely on. And uh, so it's, a, it's kind of a race to the bottom. Uh, I'm a Brooklyn boy. Mm -hmm. There was uh, a fellow uh, that was called the king of coffee 100 years before Starbucks. His name was uh, John Arbuckle. And he had a lot of real estate along the Brooklyn waterfront. And his motto was, you get what you pay for. Right. And that's a good motto. And so that attracts the companies, right? So if you have the best and the brightest, the, the human capital, then that attracts the company. And then therefore, the real estate goes up in value, right? Well, that's, uh, that's uh, really true. You have to distinguish, I think, yeah. between uh, uh, occupations uh, and employees that are your source of current and future profits, uh, those that are the revenue generators, those that are the creators of the new products that the consumer wants to buy, whether that be a physical product or a service. Uh, and then you support that uh, with uh, a, a group of, of employees that are the uh, commodity type workers of your business. And every business needs them. Right. They need back offices and so on. But back offices tend to migrate to commodity locations that are low cost, uh, whereas the producers of revenue are kept really, really close to management because right. management understands that that's, uh, uh, that's where the future of the firm lies. Right, and I like the, the, the saying, you get what you pay for, because when you think about it, uh, companies are paying some pretty high rents in places like Manhattan where you know your, the cost to store your junk is the same cost as in Atlanta for Class A office space. So there must be some value of being there with the best and the brightest. It, it's, it's true, and you know, we're now in a sort of a building boom in Manhattan. Uh, we've almost completed the rebuilding of the World Trade Center. Uh, that's uh, uh, 10 million square feet of new space, and there's an equal amount of space being built at Hudson Yards. None of that's being built on spec. That's all uh, being built because companies are electing to pay the cost of a new building, and in Manhattan, uh, you can hardly build an office building for less than $1,100 or $1,200 a square foot, wow. inclusive of the cost of land. Right. So you have to get some pretty hefty rents. Rents, it, but the, 125 bucks a foot, basically. Right. right. And so talk about some of the metrics, if you will, uh, that you use and to help us better understand a 24-hour city. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's important mm -hmm. uh, uh, because for a long time, the concept of 24-hour cities was based on what I call the Potter-Stewart rule. Uh, Potter-Stewart was the uh, this, uh, Supreme Court justice who had to write one of the first great pornography decisions. He says, I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of uh, years, 24-hour cities were, well, I can't define it. I can't measure it. I know it when I see it. And so uh, I've devised a, a, a number of, of metrics. Uh, first, uh, uh, you know, and interestingly, how many 24-hour drugstores are there within 10 miles of the city hall? You know, that will tell you whether there's enough business out there uh, to be active 24 hours. That's why one of the covers, uh, pictures on the cover of the book, is a greengrocer around the block from, uh, from my house. Uh, mm -hmm. It's open 24 hours. 
Yeah. It's open 24 hours. The second uh, uh, metric, uh, even though cities are very mass transit oriented, the 24-hour cities in particular, the amount of uh, automobile traffic that occurs between 9 to 5, but it's 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Right. Cities that have more than 13% of their automobile traffic in the nighttime hours, they're 24-hour cities. Right. Uh, then there's residential density. Uh, if you're going to have a live, work, play environment, uh, you have to have a substantial amount of population that's in walking distance of, of work. So residential densities of about 10,000 people per square mile are critical in, uh, uh, in proximity to the, uh, to the office market. Well, that creates opportunities for retailers, that creates opportunities for restaurants, it creates uh, opportunities for entertainment, all of which keep people interacting with each other. So those are a few of the metrics. Right. And that's a big part of it, right, to have all those uses. And it seems like it's uh, cities are evolving. If you, I think back of some of the small towns and, and, and cities where people were uh, working on the first floor and living above, then that seemed to kind of go away, right? And we segregated all of our uses. And now it's kind of coming back, right, where everybody, everything's doing everything together. Yeah, the model of the city where, where you had uh, your commerce, your residential area, your culture, your religious cult in the center. That's the model of Athens, that's the model of Rome, that's the model of Paris. This is the tried and true uh, urban, urban form. The multinodal city, the city that sprawls, the city where people work in one place but then need to commute you know, I think of Georgia 400, how long does it take to get from, from Midtown back up to, to, to North Fulton County? Well, you, you, know, you want to get home. Right. You know, whereas if your home is in proximity to, uh, to where you work, you'll stay in the office. Maybe you'll meet your family for dinner. Yeah. And, and you see all the growth of uh, these mixed-use developments, so they're kind of little cities right there. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on 24-Hour Cities with you, Kelly. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800 800- 408-BULL. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today we're talking with Hugh Kelly. He's a professor of real estate at NYU, and he's also author of 24-Hour Cities, a book I recommend. And you tell us about 24-Hour Cities and, you know, where did the term originate? It's a term now that goes back more than 20 years in the real estate field. Uh, it came from the publication Emerging Trends in Real Estate, uh, which is now published by Urban Land Institute and, and PricewaterhouseCoopers. Back then it was published uh, by uh, Equitable Real Estate here in Atlanta, uh, and uh, the research work was done by Real Estate Research Corporation. And the story goes that, that uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, invest, investment heads, uh, Charlie Wurzbach, uh 
looked out his window in Chicago and, and said, this is really what makes for a great real estate investment, a, you know, a place where people are for 24 hours. Uh, and so, in a, in a very uh, startling uh, prediction, Emerging Trends said that 24-hour cities, rather than the suburb versus city, uh, or the suburb versus downtown, it's going to be the 24-hour versus the 9-to-5 environment that's going to predict where the best real estate investment opportunities are. So that goes all the way back to the 1995 edition of Emerging Trends. Uh, and it's proven to be very prescient, and it was such a, an, a surprising claim at the time because we were back in Edge City time. You remember Joel Groh's book on Edge Cities, where it was the Tyson's Corners, the Las Colinas, the Buckheads, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that where the action was, and the downtowns were kind of dying on the vine. Well, the last 20 years have seen an entire reversal of that. Right, and that's interesting. And you think about the, the core investors, the institutional investors who are, are looking for that safety, and they're going to some of these 24-hour cities where they're paying really low cap rates, but they have the intrinsic value of the, of the future rent increases because of the basically a lot of the 24-hour city attributes, right? That's, it's it's yeah. partially the ability to continue to see rental improvement, because it's difficult to build new competition right. in very dense areas. Uh, but it's also because there's greater liquidity. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have an office building or an apartment building, a rental building, to sell in Manhattan, in downtown San Francisco, on the Gold Coast of Chicago, the buyers line up. Right. If, on the other hand, you've got maybe a building of the same age, but it's in a nine to five type location, downtown Cincinnati, around Fountain Square, which is a lovely place to be. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you don't have the same ability to sell, particularly when markets are uh, uh, concerned about, uh, about either a down cycle or uh, uh, about volatility in the financial markets. Right. Well, it's an interesting time for it as well because, you know, I think a lot of people are looking for the, the safety of real estate as they're looking for yield and, and something that's tangible. So if a city, if the planners of a city, the politicians, the, the leaders in communities would like their cities become more of a 24-hour city and have some of those benefits, what are some things that, that can be done? You know, when you go... Um, to the grocery store. You go and buy a list of ingredients for whatever it is you want to make. I've heard that's what people do. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't make a great meal. You have to have a recipe. Mm -hmm. And economic developers, you know, in my observation, have often been like those shoppers that go to a grocery store. I want to become a 24-hour city, so I'm going to get a downtown sports stadium. I'm going to uh, have an arts district. I'm going to uh, uh, make sure that I've got a convention center and the hotels that go along with that. And they get all of the, the ingredients, and then they wonder why they don't become 24 hours. Every recipe has a key and critical ingredient. And for me, if live, work, play is the mantra for 24-hour uh, cities, you have to focus on the live. Right. 
And so that's why I think that residential densities in the downtown of uh, 10,000 people per square mile uh, is the threshold for uh, becoming a 24-hour city. And you know, most economic development corporations and most business improvement in districts don't have a residential strategy. Right. They have a commercial strategy, as though you could have these two things separately. Right. That's a good point. And also, you create the more of a safety, right? If, if the sidewalks are being folded up, and even if you wanted to be downtown at night, maybe you're nervous about it. It's, it's so true. And this goes back a long way. Uh, Jane Jacobs, back in 1961, had a book called the death and life of great American cities. And uh, she uh, said that more than police, more than uh, uh, private security, it was eyes on the street that created uh, safety. And more and more as I interview people uh, uh, in the real estate business, they under understand that creating that, that interaction of people in public uh, uh, is critical to a vibrant and vital city. Right. And what in the book might a planner that's trying to, to get some of the benefits of a 24-hour city in their community, what might they pick up? Uh, uh, maybe the top three things they might pick up. I know there's a lot in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I think, yes, make the things that support residential okay. available. You know, and that, that means uh, 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 create walkability. Uh, what's the size of your sidewalks? How are they maintained? Mm -hmm. You know, that's important. Light. Right. Uh, you know, uh, lighting the tops of buildings to highlight your skyline is fine, but light coming through the windows at ground level actually promotes a lot more safety. Right. Uh, secondly, promote the movement of people. And so that means focus on your transportation. Uh, you know, there's good density and there's bad density. Mm -hmm. Good density is when we interact with each other. Bad density is when we're just getting in each other's way, <laughs> right? Traffic right. congestion fits fits in, in into uh, into that. Right. Uh, you know, the the idea that you crowd people uh, into public housing, for example, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, is 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 a way in which there's there's bad density that then you know creates safety issues. So, creating the supports for residential, creating uh, uh, and the ability for people to, to move, and then what will retain people? Right, something for them to do, right? Well, something for them to do, but even more basically, schools. Right. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, residential brokers will always tell you, look at the school district. Right. The flight of people away from cities in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, well, because the better school districts were at the, uh, the perimeter. Cities that invest in their, their uh, educational system are more likely to retain the millennials uh, who have chosen to live downtown when they reach the family formation uh, uh, years. Uh, and you know, my own city, New York, I think has done a very good job of that. We yeah. moved our very best high school, uh, Stuyvesant High School. Uh, uh, right next to where the World Trade Center is. Yeah, yeah. And it's sometimes easier said than done, but oh, so important because people want to be near great schools. Well, stay with us. We'll have more on 24-hour cities on the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Are you interested in the senior housing industry? Well, you're invited to attend the third annual Interface Senior Housing Southeast Conference. It will be August 24th and 25th in Atlanta at the Weston Buckhead. For more information, visit CREshow.com. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking with Hugh Kelly about his book, 24-Hour Cities. And uh, Hugh, one of the things that I think some people think about uh, 24-Hour Cities is it's glitz and glamour and you have to make a tremendous amount money, amount of money to live there. Is that one of the misconceptions of a 24-hour city? That's what I think about sometimes. It, uh, uh, it is in a lot of ways, and, and, and there are people who uh, are very strong in that uh, opinion. There's a fellow out on the West Coast by the name of Joel Kotkin who is always you know, saying the 24-hour cities, the superstar cities, are just for the elite. Uh, but the fabric of, 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 of the city is very different. Another picture that's on on the cover of the book is the New York City subway, the G train. Uh, there are no first class cars on the G train. <laughs> there are also no reserved seating in Central Park. Right. You know, uh, it's, it can be very egalitarian. My concept is that while bright lights, big cities, downtowns uh, are part and parcel of the 24 hour cities, their benefits spread out. Um, and so, uh, uh, my neighborhood, which has uh, you know, many, many immigrants, Bangladeshis, Palestinian Arabs, Hasidic Jews, uh, you know, people from, uh, uh, from Eastern Europe, Russians, Ukrainians, uh, they all come because of the fabric of the neighborhood and the transportation that will get them to work uh, and the fact that this, the neighborhood provides them uh, services including uh, bus service. Uh, the bus route that goes down two blocks from my house is one of the top ten bus routes in all of New York. It's not a Manhattan route at all. Why? Because it connects to a whole bunch of hospitals and hospitals operate 24 hours. Right. And so the people that work in the hospitals, not just the surgeons, not just the, uh, uh, the, the top level of the medical personnel, but the nurses, the nurses' aides, they're working round the clock. And that's what makes uh, this particular neighborhood very vibrant and, uh, and vital. So it's not just for, for the leader, as Kotkins likes to say, people that are eating $200 lunches. Right, right. So, but if you think about it, you know, historically, you know, cities where, where the more educated and, and more wealthy you know, people resided them. And then you think about, oh, that's just an old country boy, <laughs> not in the city. It's, well, it's, it's true, but so many of our cities were, were built on the basis of walk-to-work housing. Uh, uh, and after World War II, with the expansion of the interstate system, uh, with, uh, with the massive production of housing in, in the suburbs, that fabric began to, to disintegrate. Uh, and it's why, as part of the books, I, I go into a lot of detail of why did cities hollow out? You know, to me, one of the most intriguing things is that the cities that we now think are the best cities, that, that get the most investments, the San Francisco's, the Washington's, the Miami's, the, the New York's, the Boston's, 
were terrible places. I remember that. In, in, the, yeah. in the 19th century. New York lost 800,000 residents. Mm. Wrap your eyes you know, around that number. Right. You know, Washington was the murder capital of the country. San Francisco murdered its mayor. Mm. Miami was Liberty City and, and, and the riots. So was, so was Boston. So these cities didn't spring up as 24-hour cities you know, from nothing. They had to reinvent themselves. Uh, and that, to me, gives hope for cities that are struggling today. Because if you can reverse that tide in uh, big, old cities that have fixed infrastructure, it should be able to be done in smaller cities that are more malleable and perhaps more entrepreneurial. Right. But there is a push and a pull, right, between the, the cost to do that because that can be expensive to do. And if you look at a city like New York, just, just selling a, a building in New York, the taxes and things you have to pay, you've got to weigh that, right, as a planner and, and as a politician. That's, uh, that's, very, that's very true. And it's what uh, me, it's the reason I think that 24-hour cities uh, don't find themselves facing a raft of new competitors right. because it takes uh, a will to invest and the patience to reap the benefits of those, of those investments. You know, take Los Angeles now. Los Angeles just opened its subway to the sea mm -hmm. from downtown Los Angeles out to Santa Monica. Well, that's been a project that's, that's 10 or 15 years in, in the making, uh, uh, but LA made a decision that it, its bad density, the bad density on the 405, the bad density on, on, on the 10 freeway, on the, uh, uh, the, the 101 that runs through, through downtown was a problem. And so they had to get mobility uh, in mass transit. And so they've invested in that. That's their future. Right, and that's a good investment. And it does take some time. And we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is the Commercial Real Estate. First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For requests, assumptions, consulting, and restructuring, call First Service Solutions at 817-756-7227. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking with Hugh Kelly about his book, 24-Hour Cities, and the subtitle is Real Estate Investment Performance, Not Just Promises. And Hugh, this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. So talk to us about the returns on commercial real estate in 24-hour cities in your research versus 9-to-5 type cities. Yeah. So as I mentioned you know, er earlier, when Emerging Trends first proposed this concept, it was that 24-hour cities were going to be better places to invest. Uh, and for a long time, that had never been tested statistically, which is, uh, I think, the real contribution of the real estate side of this, this research. So I looked at uh, 25 cities over a period of more than 25 years and found that for the 24-hour cities, rents were higher, vacancies were lower, price appreciation was more, and total return was more than 150% higher in the 24-hour cities than in 9-to-5 cities. So that's why I say it's not just promises. This is, is something that's now demonstrably true. 
that should all mean the capital flows strongly in search of those returns. And that's what we've seen um, uh, tremendously, both in the ups of cycles and the downs of cycles, that the flow of capital to the 24-hour cities, and therefore the ability to sustain value has uh, uh, definitely been overachieved in the 24-hour cities and underperformed in the 9 to 5. It kind of comes back to the old saying, right? Location, location, <laughs> location. And it's true. It's, uh, it's true. Recognizing that even as real estate becomes a more technological industry, a more global industry, that distance hasn't died. That location becomes important. And one of the things you talk about in your book is disruptive technology and, and how that impacts 24-hour cities. Talk to us about that. Sure. Uh, you know, technology, uh, the future is going to be more technological, not less. Right. Uh, and that's been true uh, uh, at least since the Industrial Revolution and may already go back to the Middle Ages when we started to learn how to build the Gothic cathedrals and, 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 and uh the other classical architecture that, uh, that, that, we, that we have. You know, technology uh, uh, is a way for us to multiply our efforts. Uh, the misconception has been that technology disperses economic activity. You can do anything anywhere. I mean, the classic example, uh, the early ads of people sitting on their decks in Malibu or in Aspen supposedly making millions of dollars without ever getting out of their pajamas. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, not in the world of work that I know. Yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, technology from the telegraph to the telephone to the internet have advantaged uh, cities where, uh, where that technology can be deployed most efficiently. It's easier to fund fiber optic cable, for example, in places of great density, you get a greater return on that infrastructure investment mm -hmm. if you've got enough users in the place. And so dense cities get the advantage of being early adopters. Right. Uh, and uh, the rest of the cities play catch up. Right. And talk to us about millennials and, and baby boomers and, and kind of the demographics and that and the impact there on 24 hour cities versus others. So I don't know where you fit in, Mike. I, I am an early baby boomer. Uh, <laughs> baby I, was, boomer. I was born in the late 1940s. And so my generation uh, was called the pig and the python <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, influenced marketers of, of all kinds and certainly influenced the shape of real estate uh, as uh, 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 this generation has a tremendous demand for housing. We were great consumers and so on. Now the millennial generation is an even bigger generation than, uh, than the boomers. The boomers are about 75 million, the millennials about 83 million, and they are just in the, uh, in the phase of starting to shape, uh, shape things. So for cities, that's meant almost a perfect good storm <laughs> where uh, uh, baby boomers, having become empty nesters, are leaving their, their, uh, their large suburban homes for more convenience in, in the center, uh, while the millennials see their greatest economic opportunity in the center uh, and so are living 
in, in some places in incredibly small apartments. Right. But it's where they want to be. Well, how long do you think that'll last, though? Might they do what the baby boomers did when, when they want better schools or they want a little more room that they might move to the burbs? You know, there, there's no doubt with 83 million of them, some will do that. <laughs> right. Uh, there is also no doubt that with 83 million of them, some will not. Uh, and so I don't think it's, it's, it's a win-lose situation. I think there's an opportunity to create win-win here. Uh, uh, the one difference, though, is that the families that the millennials will raise are going to be much smaller than the families that the, uh, that the boomers have raised. They're marrying later. My generation married on average at the age of 22. First marriages in the millennials are more than age 28. And the deferral of, uh, uh, of child rearing into the late 30s means that they're just going to have fewer children. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be, that's going to be a, 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 a difference. The other interesting thing about strong 24-hour downtowns is they actually support more thriving suburbs. Hmm. Uh, again, it's not a win-lose situation. But if you're a New Jersey office owner, right, the best thing for you is a thriving Manhattan because that creates spillover demand for you. Right, it certainly does. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on 24-Hour Cities with you, Kelly. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go. Downtown. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and you're watching or listening to the Commercial Real Estate Show. We have Hugh Kelly with us here in Studio One. We're talking about his latest book, and uh, it is called 24 Hour Cities. And uh, so there is the music that we're playing today. And Hugh, if you will, to, to, to leave our audience, let's talk about maybe the top three takeaways from your book and let's start with number three and count down to number one. Okay, well, we'll see if we can do that. Right. Uh, so I'd say number three is that cities are all about fabric and interaction. There's no one litmus test for a, a great city and actually one of the metrics that I use is how distinct is a city? Do you know where you are just by looking around there? There are so many cities across where the skylines are, are, are absolutely identical. The stores are absolutely identical. You don't know where you are. And those cities get priced down, down to commodity levels. Those that are really regionally distinct are, are, are of greater value. Yeah, that brings to mind Nashville. You know. Absolutely. Austin. Yeah. I love Austin. Yeah. You know, keep Austin weird. <laughs> right. That's and my son's name's Austin, so we kid him about that. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Keep Austin weird. Yeah. So, so fabric, interaction, and distinctiveness. That's that's number uh, number one. The se the second is that people come first. Mm -hmm. uh, real estate is all about the functionality for the user, whether the user is a resident in a, a house or a multifamily apartment, a shopper in a, a, a store, uh, um, you know, a shipper in a warehouse. 
or a business in an office building. That people come first. And if you're helping, if the real estate is helping those people be more productive, um, uh, creating greater profits, that's going to boost rent, that's going to increase value, and it's going to attract capital. Yeah, I think that's real important to keep in mind because it's those users, those occupiers of the space that, that create commercial real estate value. They, 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 they do so much. And that's why 24-hour cities are, are, are so key because if you're getting use out of your building for 24 hours, right. right, you're getting a lot more return on your rent than if you're just using that building for 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. You're paying the same rent. That makes a lot of sense, and I've seen a lot of uh, real estate that you look at it in half a day, it is empty. Or yeah. So, so that's capital investment that's unproductive. Yeah. You know, so that's that's another thing. And the third. Now, so this is number one. This, this I think, it, it really is the number one. Number one. Don't go looking around for problem-free cities. <laughs> Come on now. I want don't perfect go, you. Don't don't go looking. <laughs> you know, when Walt Disney. Uh, built Disney World. He created Epcot, the experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Now, I've been to lots of cities around the world. Not one of them looks like Epcot. <laughs> right. Because Disney had very little uh, tolerance for messiness. Mm -hmm. I argue that the best cities are not the problem-free cities. They're the problem-solving cities. Right. Those that address what they have to do. Why? Because in solving problems, you innovate. Right. When you innovate, you create things that are, are new. That creates excitement. That creates future profits. And therefore, it attracts both the people and the businesses that want to be in that kind of environment. Right. Yeah, and if you're not learning, if you're not trying, uh, you're not failing. You have to fail to know that you're actually doing something. And you've done something here with this uh, book, Hugh. So if you want to uh, read this book, I recommend it. Go to Amazon and just search for 24-Hour Cities with the author Hugh Kelly. That's K-E-L-L-Y. And Hugh, thanks for joining us in Studio One. We appreciate you being here. It's a, it's, it's a pleasure. You know, interesting, too, I mean, as a plug, right? Yeah. Uh, it is available also on uh, a Kindle format. So nice. there's an e-book as well as the hardcover and softcover books. Technology everywhere, right? It's so true. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us out there. Whether you're listening on the radio stations or on YouTube, we appreciate you being with us. Be sure to connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We would like to hear from you. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Excelligent, building data everywhere. Valuate, easily share what-if analysis with colleagues online. And First Service Solutions, your CMBS borrower advocate. For more information on how these businesses may be of service to you, visit CREshow.com.